right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time for that. All right, let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey, we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, and we have a slightly shortened show today. We're going to be out at 530 and get you over to pregame coverage for KU Forte State in Kansas' second exhibition game for their men's basketball team. Uh, but at 6 o'clock, that pregame coverage is going to scoot out of the way for Hawk Talk with Lance Leipold and Brian Haney over at Johnny's Tavern till 7 o'clock. And then when Hawk Talk finishes up at 7, we're going to go back to Allen Fieldhouse. Actually, I don't know. I, I guess Brian Haney probably won't be doing Hawk Talk because he'll be on the call of the basketball game. I don't actually know yeah, I don't, what's I don't happening know there. I don't know who's doing what. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, Hawk Talk will happen 6 to 7, and then at 7 o'clock, You'll have your basketball call with KU taking on Forte State right here on your original home for the Hawks with KLWN. You can also listen to it on our sister station, 105.9 KISS. We're going to get into some KU Iowa State talk. Uh, we got Henry Greenstein at 340. we got a couple basketball previews. We will preview the KU Forte State game and plenty more coming at you on today's show. First, though, uh, the Big 12 announced some of their scheduling for football for years to come, at least for the next four years with the uh, new teams that are joining the league. Yeah, so uh, it'll be up to uh, 14 or 16. I don't even remember. 16. 16 teams. With Two the out, teams four in. Yeah. So uh, it's pretty cool. And uh, I, I, they didn't do a pod system, which I think was kind of maybe the preferred system where you basically group together, you know, your four West Coast schools. I think new, there were you know, only four protected rivalries yeah. in total. It was like BYU, yeah. Utah, Kansas, Kansas State, and a couple yeah, of Yeah, because like Kansas State and Iowa State, they aren't, they aren't even – they're not even going to play every year, uh, which I think is a bit unusual. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a little, it's interesting. Um, mainly just looking at it for me, looking at like 2025, 20, that just got me excited about the new booth. I was just dreaming about those games in the new booth. Because, okay, do we just call it the new booth or do we keep calling it the booth? They're like, what? Calling it the booth. But it's new. Okay, so we're not calling it the old booth right now. Well, that's because there's only been it, 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 there there hasn't been one before it. I mean, the it's booth two point as if like if you get a new car, you don't have to say my new car every time. You could just say my car. <laughs> it's the same for how long though? You know what I mean? I, you have to say it's new for a little bit, right? You don't have to. Oh, okay. Still there. Uh, so anyway, 2024 KU is going to be playing Lindenwood, UNLV and Illinois in their non-conference, which, by the way, UNLV all of a sudden got good. They're like 6-2 and two right now. Dude, this happens to KU every, all the time. every time. All the time, dude. You scheduled Coastal Carolina back in 2010 thinking they're going to be bad, and then they're elite. Yeah. You scheduled Duke, and they end up being pretty good. It's so wild. Uh, but as far as the conference slate, because they played five at home this year and four on the road, they're going to switch, and so next year they'll have four at home and five on the road. The four home games are Colorado, Houston, Iowa State and TCU. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I see four W's there. I think you feel pretty good about that. We'll see with yeah. Colorado. I yeah, don't know. Coach I Prime. Mean, well, I don't they know. could go bananas. He could overhaul. In the yeah, he could overhaul his roster again and have. Shooter Sanders comes back. Travis Hunter comes. Back. I don't know. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
then you're at Arizona State, at Baylor, at BYU, at Kansas State, at West Virginia. I also see a lot of W's. <laughs> well, I think this is going to be the reality of the new Big 12. Without Texas and Oklahoma, every game you look at there, you can talk yourself into a win. Absolutely. You can also talk yourself into a loss, right? Yeah. It's it's a lot of coin flip games. So they they also have the schedules up there for 2025, 2026, and 2027 for KU in the Big 12. Uh, but that's the one that's most pertinent for yeah for next year. And like you said, most notably they get K, that KU gets K State every year. They've that's been protected, so they're going to play K State every year. That's not the case for a lot of other schools. Like I mentioned, K State's not going to play Iowa State, uh, and there's some other ones in there that aren't protected either. So. I feel pretty good about that. I like that that KU gets to play K State every year. You know, it's it's a rivalry game. You want to keep that, so I'm happy to see that. And uh, yeah, like I said, I I think I think a lot of people maybe expected to it to be more regionalized with how they were going to do it, but uh, instead they've kind of gone with like this, I guess, round robin style is the best way to describe it, where you just you play you get to play everybody, but then you don't play some teams for a couple years, and so I don't know how you know it all kind of shakes. I'm out, assuming but. the the idea here, as opposed to doing the pod system, was we want to make sure if we are a conference that we're playing everybody, that we actually are getting familiarized with yeah. your new conference members. Maybe they'll go to a pod system after this first four years, after they, they sure. have kind of everybody play everybody. Well, and the more I thought about it, like in football where you play one game a week and travel is not that big of a deal, you can you can go ahead and do games where you play more on the, you know, the pod system I think would actually make more sense when you get to like basketball and some of the non-revenue sports mm-hmm. where there's a lot more games, and a lot more travel involved. So the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, yeah, you know what? This kind of makes sense for football, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Uh, KU takes on Iowa State on Saturday. That one at six o'clock. Pre-game will start at four thirty right here on KLWN. Our midweek thoughts here: What Iowa State does well? Well, right now they're on a hot streak. They've won four or five Big Twelve games. They had the weird Ohio loss after the Iowa loss, and some of that makes sense. Early season struggles. Uh, you have a new quarterback in there who's a freshman after the gambling stuff that took out Hunter Deckers and, and the starting running back. So, so it's going to take this team some time, and, and also you lose close in both of those games. They've been good since then. They, they've won their last three. Two of them, they've scored 30 or more points. And in three of their five Big 12 games, they've scored 30 or more points. So this is a team that's on a roll right now. They're playing good football, and it's a tough place to play up in Ames, especially in a night crowd. Now, offensively, they have given up the least amount of sacks in the league at six. So it's been tough to actually bring down the quarterback. I don't think it has as much to do with the offensive line as maybe some scheme stuff and mobile quarterback play and, and whatnot, but we'll get into that in a moment. But the... The, the overall math is that they're not giving up a lot of sacks. Uh, Jaden Higgins is a really talented receiver. He can beat you downfield. And then uh, Noel is kind of like a scat back type receiver. They'll get the ball in his hands a good amount, and, and he'll try to make you miss. Middle of the pack and passer efficiency rate, eighth in the conference. What they've been really good offensively in is red zone scoring. Second in the Big 12 in red zone scoring rate, and KU has not been great in red zone defense. So what sticks out to you there? Yeah, the red zone, the red zone thing sticks out, and uh, you know, I, I, we've we've had this discussion about the red zone of like, eventually you feel like it's like a water finds level type thing where if you would think that KU is not going to be giving up as much now, uh, but I, I don't know, I, I guess we'll see. You know, it shows that Iowa State has been pretty good in that area, but you know, you look at this Iowa State game, and you flash back to early September, and myself included, I think with a lot of other KU fans, looked at this game against Iowa State and thought, wow, easy W. No starting quarterback, no starting running back. Like they, you know, who knows how that program's going to respond? Then they, then they start the season with some losses early against Ohio and uh, and Iowa, uh, but then they beat Oklahoma State, and then they kind of get their get rolling a little bit. They got crushed by Oklahoma, by the way, mm-hmm. but now they've won three in a row, like you mentioned. 
I will say the three in a row against three of the weaker opponents in the the Big Twelve, three of the weaker Big Twelve teams. So I don't know how much stock you necessarily want to put into that. But the the point being is that early on in the season you would have thought that this game was going to be a very easy one for Kansas potentially, and now it's shaping up to be maybe their second most difficult game left on their schedule of their final four games behind the K State game. So and then you and then you factor in all that, and you're going on the road in Ames. It's going to be a night game. They're really really good in night games. You know the the I feel like Ames, you you almost when you when you think about it on its on its face, you almost more so dread an 11 a.m. kick in Ames than you would a night game. But they've been really good at night games, so uh, it's it's definitely suddenly become a very very interesting opponent for Kansas. And a lot has been made this week uh, from the coaching staff and from some of the players even about the idea of Kansas has coming off of big wins has not always played very well in the following game. And they really, really want to correct that against against Iowa State. And I think to that end, it's going to be another game where you want to get off to a fast start for Kansas, uh, because you don't want you don't want uh, Ames and Jack Tri Stadium to get going. So, yeah, it's really turned into uh, an interesting matchup, one that you probably didn't expect it to be this way six weeks ago. But it seems like Iowa State has really found their footing. And, and listen, they're they're tied for first place in the conference at this point. So Iowa State has just as much to play for as Kansas does. You know, as crazy as it sounds. Iowa State's sitting in their locker room thinking, "Hey, if we run the table here, we have a we have we have a path to the Big Twelve title." And you know, there there are there are five different teams around the conference right now that are sitting in their locker rooms saying that, saying, "If we run the table, we have a path." You know, and so now it's time to put up or shut up on that mentality, right? I mean, there's big games all across the conference this Saturday, and it kind of culminates with KU and Iowa State on Saturday night, and so I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, it's it's definitely going to be a bit nerve wracking, you know. You're going to have Jason Bean again. All signs of point towards Jason Bean out there again. Uh, and he's going to have to bounce back and, and hopefully play a little bit a little bit more consistently than he did against Oklahoma. But I'm, I'm just excited, man. I mean, <clears throat> you know, another 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 season where you get to be excited for November football for KU. All right, more on Iowa State. Uh, defensively, what they do well, they are 10th on defense on ESPN SB+. They are first in the Big 12 in yards allowed per play. And they have excellent coverage. They're 10th on pro football focus in coverage grade. They're second in the Big 12 in interceptions. They have an NFL corner in TJ Tampa. Uh, Jeremiah Cooper has five interceptions, a ball hawking safety. And they are first in the Big 12 in yards allowed per pass, yards per pass attempt, or, or I'm sorry, the same thing, uh, completion percentage against, and uh, passer efficiency against. D-line solid, better against the run than in the pass. They don't have a lot of sacks. Uh, but they're third in the Big 12, too, when yards allowed per carry. So, overall, it's just a really good defense. They have seemed to figure out their kicking woes from la- where they were last year. <laughs> 20 for 20 on PATs, 15 for 19 on field goals. Uh, they hit two beyond 50 so far this year, including a long of 56. So, wow. the defense is just excellent. And and that's where this matchup is, is interesting. It's KU's defense is more of a weakness compared to the offense. Iowa State's offense, more of a weakness compared to the defense. And then you flip it the other way. The Iowa State defense, really good. KU offense, very good. Yeah, you go back to the Oklahoma State game, and we actually talked to Dominic Pooney today, and he kind of touched on this, where you know more teams are going to that three-safety look and maybe having a three-down line look and using more linebackers, that 3-3-5 defense. Well, that that started with Iowa State. Iowa State's been the team that's been running that, and it's they've run it very successfully. And you flash back to last season, that was one of KU's worst offensive performances was against this Iowa State defense that runs that different scheme. And so, KU they have now a little bit they have now faced that defense a little bit more. 
again, like I said, the Oklahoma State game most notably, when they did have some success in that one. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be a very, a very, very difficult game, I think, for the KU offense because they are going to be facing that that style of Iowa State defense that really flustered them last season. And I thought Dominic Pooney, when we talked to him today, uh, he he gave a really interesting answer when talking about from the O line perspective, blocking against that front versus blocking the more of a traditional four man front or whatever. And he was basically describing how you know if you're if you're a pulling lineman or if you are trying to figure out where which guy you're supposed to block in a four man front, it's a lot easier. You just you can normally just block the guy in front of you or to your left or to your right. With a three-man front with the linebackers moving, you've got to be able to pick out who you're going to be going after and getting to the second level and whatnot. And there's a lot more movement, and that causes a lot of congestion and a lot of, and can be a lot of, very confusing for an offensive line, uh, which I thought was a very, very insightful uh, answer that he that he gave there. And so KU's running game is going to have to go in this, get going. I mean, I think you and I both agree that if KU's going to win any game, the run game has to be a proponent of that. I mean, we've gone through the numbers, right? And their losses, they've been much worse on the ground uh, than in wins. So that, that's that got to be a focal point for them. And I think it'll just help Jason be in a, in a road environment as well. But, but yeah, I mean, you, you look at the game last year, and I think from Iowa State's standpoint, that game probably played out how they wanted it to, right? I mean, if you think you're off, if, if your defense – if you consider that to be more of a strength than your offense, wouldn't you want more of a defensive-style football game? Mm-hmm. And that's what they got against Kansas. And if it weren't for some blunders with field goals and special teams, Iowa State probably wins that game, right? Uh, so if you're Kansas, you probably want to make sure that that game, that maybe things don't unfold in that same way in this game against Ames. You probably want to have a little bit more success on offense and put some more pressure on the Iowa State offense uh, to make plays. But... But yeah, I mean, I from like I said, from the Iowa State standpoint, last year's game against Kansas probably played out how they wanted it to. They've just had some coaching mistakes and some special teams errors, some special teams gaffes that that hurt them and cost them the game. Okay, so what Iowa State doesn't do well uh, overall, they're 82nd on offense, ESPN, SP Plus. They are 13th of 14 teams in the Big 12 in points per game and yards per play. Uh, the passing's 11th in yards per attempt. The running's 11th in yards per attempt. They have the least amount of rushing touchdowns in the league. Like I said, they have been been getting better, though, as the season's gone on. Blocking-wise, they have really struggled. The offensive tackles have been really bad for them. Both are sub-50 grades on Pro Football Focus. One's a, one of them's a sub-40 grade. And uh, they are 124th in the country in pass blocking, 127th in run blocking. Which begs the question, how have they only given up six sacks? They use a lot of tight ends to block. They use a lot of running backs to block. The quarterback's mobile. They they do a lot of sprint outs and rollouts, and yeah. they get the ball out quickly. So you have to be able to adjust for that. Um, the interior has actually been fine for the most part, you know, to below average for Iowa State. Uh, they're also not great at third down conversions. They're 13th in the Big 12 at just 35%. And defensively, as great as the defense is, the one kind of area you can get them in, I guess besides pass rush, they're, they're not great there, but it's mostly because they just send so many guys back in coverage. They're not a great tackling team. 87th on Pro Football Focus in tackling makes sense because linebackers have been their weakest unit. Hello, Devin Neal. But I think what we learned from the Oklahoma State game against a team who runs the the same system as, as you were talking about is that it's hard to run perimeter runs and outside runs against this defense because you have so many... There's just too many Quick, bodies. Fast players on the outside and too many bodies yeah. that you can't get the the proper bodies out there to get blocks on the exterior, which means have to run up the middle. Hello, mm-hmm. Daniel Highshaw. Hello, HB Dive. Yeah. Well, and, and this is the game that Highshaw got hurt in last year. And if you remember, Highshaw yeah. got hurt, it was, what, beginning of the third quarter or something like that? Yeah, or maybe even earlier in the game. I think 
there is a a heavy line between if you look at it because KU beat I I don't even remember what the final score it was fourteen it was to eleven fourteen to eleven is yeah. that right all fourteen points for KU were in the first half yep and yep. that was when Daniel Highshaw was playing makes sense to me that Daniel Highshaw is like the ultimate X factor in this game for KU so uh, early thoughts on the game uh, KU's uh, a slight underdog here. Yeah, I think I think interestingly enough, they opened as a slight favorite, I think, and then the line quickly shifted. If I'm not mistaken, I think they opened at like minus one, and then it shifted in favor of Iowa State. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the line reflects that this is going to be a tight game. It's going to be a stressful game. It's going to be a nerve wracking game, and uh, kind of what we've talked a lot about with the Oklahoma game, where you saw Jason Bean come up clutch. This is going to be another game where you're probably going to need him to come up clutch, whether it's late in the game to either put the game away, maybe if you have the lead, or to do what he did against Oklahoma and go down and get you in a position to score to take the lead and win the game. He's probably going to need to do that again. I don't see this game being more than a one-possession game, really, for either team. I mean, Iowa State's offense is not good enough to blow anybody out, but their defense is good enough, I think, to hold Kansas down that they, they probably are going to be in striking distance most of the game. So uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be very, very difficult for Kansas. And and uh, I think the biggest thing is you just hope that the messaging that we heard a lot from the coaches today about not, have, not following up a big win with kind of a, a sluggish game, you hope that that rings true for Kansas mm-hmm. and they can come out inspired. Because, listen, the, if you want to have a serious discussion about, about KU trying to elevate to that championship level of a program, championship-level programs, they don't come out flat after wins. They, they they stack wins on wins, okay? And we did see in the Nevada game, I know this wasn't like a flat necessarily, but it was I, I, the external stuff no, might have got no, to if you're, game, right? So, yeah, there's two, there's two aspects to it. Championship pro, if you're a, a, you know, a high-level championship program, you find ways to win games where you're not playing your best, which they the Nevada game, I'm, I think that's probably where you're going with that. They did mm-hmm. do that. But again, you don't, you don't dwell on your wins. You keep stacking wins on wins, and that's a chance for KU to go out and, and do that against Iowa State. Yep, absolutely. All right, uh, real quick, I do want to talk a little KU Forte State. That game, we'll, we'll have uh, more talk on this later throughout the show. I don't know how much we can really preview for this game. Forte State is a really good D2 school. MIAA produces really good basketball schools, and they were picked third in the league. They got a first-place vote, uh, picked fourth in, in one of the other because they had the coaches in the media poll. And they have three all-conference players from last year. All of them come back. So this is a good D2 team. They should give KU a good test. But at the same point in time, from some of the stuff, like if Hunter Dickinson goes off, their tallest players, they have a 6'8", a 6'9", 6'10". I don't know how much any of them play. Um, Hunter Dickinson should be able to – like if KU dominates in transition play or with steals or forcing turnovers or dominating inside or rebounding, that's a good thing because it means you didn't perform bad in a game where you should perform well. But it's not a, an overarching takeaway. So I guess, what are you most wanting to see tonight from KU against Fort Hayes State? Well, I think when you look at the Illinois game, El Marco Jackson was really a non-factor. I mean, he had two layups, but really didn't do much beyond that, and felt like he was still maybe trying to settle in. I'd like to see him. You know, I mean, this. You know, for him, for a guy like him, and for a guy like Nick Timberlake, and even Hunter Dickinson, this is gonna be the first game out Fieldhouse, right? With with sixteen thousand three hundred people in there. So I'd like to see. Those guys, but El Marco specifically because he's a freshman, come out and maybe establish himself a little bit more earlier in the game because it just didn't really happen against Illinois, and you'd like to see him have a little bit of confidence uh, going into the regular season. And then same with Nick Timberlake. I mean, listen, Nick Timberlake didn't hit a three against Illinois. That's got to change. Let's, let's hit some threes tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about that? Uh, There's a good strategy. Uh, but, yeah, so that, that's what I'm, what I'm looking for and just, you know, absorbing the environment and, you know, playing – 
up to a level where that they, they can feel good going into the regular season. So, because again, you know, you get you get North Carolina Central, and then you get Manhattan. Oh, and then you get in Kentucky. Okay, so you got you know you basically have three games, three warm up games from here going forward, and uh, two of them are for real, obviously. But uh, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. So you want to see guys like Marco Jackson build confidence, Nick Timberlake build confidence. Uh, you know, Hunter Dickinson, you expect to be a quality player. Kevin McCullough, you know what you're getting. Dewan Harris, you know what you're getting. KJ Adams, you know what you're getting. And then uh, I think Bill Self alluded to Johnny Furphy possibly playing tonight. Obviously, that's going to draw a lot of intrigue, and that will be a, a point of interest. But, but yeah, to me, it's just more about continuing to to gel together, continuing to to sort of build that team, that team chemistry. But again, I think I look at the guys that this is their first game in Allen Fieldhouse. I want to see them specifically do well, and then even more so the freshmen. So I guess El Marco plus Johnny Furphy plus uh, Jamar McDowell, however many minutes he plays. Uh, those are the guys that I'm definitely keeping an eye on. Yeah. I want to see Kevin McCuller back it up with another good performance, too, uh, just to make you think what, what game one was. It wasn't just an outlier. It was um, that's just who he's going to be all season long. And uh, outside of that, like, yes, you do want to see them do well in rebounding and, and, and scoring inside just because if but you like, don't do it in this game, yeah, sh- yeah. what does it mean? But it it's not the biggest takeaway at all. But I, I do agree with you. It's it's the progression of the freshmen in their second game. Giselle Marco go from, you know, having a few nice moments against Illinois, but mostly having a game that was a little bit forgettable. Yeah, I mean, is, is do you look more comfortable? Is timid the right word to describe in Marco's first game against Illinois? I don't know, because he was he he, he was did flash a little just, bit, but it just he just, just kind of getting lost a little bit. Yeah, lost in the shuffle. Yeah, a little bit, which that can happen to freshmen. And I don't think he was like bad. There was n- never a moment in the game where I was oh, like, yeah, 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 he's not playing well. Yeah, just, exactly. You know, he wasn't really getting yeah. exploited on defense or doing anything poorly. It's just he he wasn't he right. didn't really flash. I want to see him assert today. All right, we'll uh, talk more KU basketball throughout the show. Henry Greenstein will join us in about fifteen minutes. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Greenstein's going to join the show in less than uh, 10 minutes from right now here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. So KU Men's Basketball Media Day was uh, about a week ago, and we got a chance to hear from a bunch of different players, all the scholarship players and uh, one of the walk-ons as well with with Michael Jankovic. So we're going to be playing you some of their audio coming up here over the next couple days of the show to help preview the KU basketball season, which officially starts on Monday. Exhibition game tonight. Uh, We'll give you these audio interviews, and then we're going to do... Uh, previews about the specific player and what their role could look like for the team. First up could be maybe the the face of the team. I don't know. I mean, yeah. Hunter Dickinson's the face of the team in terms of being thought of as an All-American. Dewan Harris is the face of the team in terms of being like the program guy. Yep. But Kevin McCuller might be the the mix between the two, right? Yeah. He's he's yeah. both an All-American candidate and he's been here a couple years. And anyway, here here is uh, Nick and members of the media catching up with Kevin McCuller. Going into late night, your second late night, what was that experience like? How did you? How much did you enjoy that? Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a blast for me. Uh, I personally enjoyed it because we got to put the Big 12 banner up, something that I was a part of. Um, so yeah, it, it was super fun. I got. It was glad to be back in front of the fans and stuff, and kind of, kind of interact with them and show show off our personality. So it was, it was a blessing for sure. Going back to the Puerto Rico trip, how important do you think that was just for your team, for the team, both on the court and also off the court? I feel like it was huge uh, to be able to match up against pros, um, you know, like Buddy Hill and Eric Gordon. Um, you know, be able to do that, that was super fun for myself and my team. Um, you know, we took great pride in that, and I feel like we've grown from it for sure. 
you ever need if you ever need to take your mind off basketball or kind of reset a little bit what are some things you might do off the court maybe to just help yourself mentally a little bit um you know yeah you got to have a balance i feel like especially at this level that we play at with everything that comes with it um i like to just play video games a lot of the time uh, talk to my family hang out with them hang out with my teammates really um but video games is a big thing that i kind of just get away and kind of get to relax and do what do you feel like is your biggest strength coming into this season um, I would say just my versatility, um, trying to be consistent this year and um, really just you know cause havoc on both ends of the floor and um, be a guy that's consistent every night and come out there and get it done. Johnny Furphy is from Australia. Anything about him that surprised you, maybe personality-wise? Maybe not so much on the court, but off the court. Anything that surprised you about him? Um, no, I didn't know Australians was that funny. Uh, he's super funny. He's always joking around, and he has a great personality. Um, in the locker room, he always has us laughing, so he, he, he's a good dude. Halloween is just around the corner. Do you have a favorite Halloween candy? Halloween candy. Um, I would say probably Sour Patch Kids. Uh, I'm, I hate candy corn, though. That's one thing I can't stand, for sure. Hunter Dickinson said he hates candy corn, too. Yeah, so I guess, I'm not there a you go. candy corn person yeah, at all. All right, so what about uh, when you were a kid? Did you ever dress up, or do you have a Halloween costume from when you were a kid that you remember or have a fond memory of? Um, I think when I was a kid, one time I was Tigger, um, like Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. Uh, my mom has a picture of me. That's the one Halloween costume I always remember. And I was Barney, uh, like two times. Yeah, I like Barney a lot growing up. I think it's a good one because now you have hops in real life, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? You don't need the tail anymore. Most definitely. I don't need the tail. No extra boost now. Yeah. All right. Who would you say right now on the team is the best uh, dancer? Who's got the best dance moves you think on the team? Uh, best dancer is definitely him right here, Jamar. He danced all the time. So every time we're in the weight room, locked from anywhere, Jamar always dancing. Who do you think is the worst dancer on the team? Uh, worst dancer is actually right here, too, Justin Cross. He can't dance. He has no rhythm, and it's bad. So, yeah. He's a captain. He's captain. The, the mic can hear that, too. He knows he's captain, too. That's my answer. <laughs> That's my All right, what about the uh, the best singer on the team, the best Ooh. singing voice? Uh, actually, probably Big Hunt. I've heard him sing before. He, he's not bad. You know what I'm saying? He tries. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Worst, worst singer? Worst singer? I don't know who the worst singer is. We all probably pretty pretty, sound, pretty bad. I ain't going to lie. I'm myself, probably the worst singer. I ain't going to lie. Yeah. I can't yeah. see. You guys have a pretty tough non-conference schedule. How important do you think it is just to get off to a quick start this season? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, we know we got big games in the non-conference. It's going to be a great time. Uh, it's going to be super fun matching up with other opponents like that. Uh, even playing out there in the tournament in Maui, which is stacked. So um, it's going to be fun for sure. What about the newcomers to the Big 12? Are you excited to maybe play some of those new teams in the Big 12? Oh, uh, yeah. It should be fun. Uh, it's going to be super dope to go play at other arenas, uh, match up against other programs, uh, top universities. So it'll be fun. If you could describe your game with just one word, what would you use? Um, I'll just say energy. Uh, I'm always going to go out there and leave it all on the floor every time I step in between the lines. Good luck this season. Right, thank you, man. All right, that was Kevin McCuller and uh, some cool info there. Who who knew? Hunter Dickinson, good singer. Uh, yeah. I, oh, well, good for I can the see crowd, it. I guess. I can kind of see it. Yeah. No, that's cool to know. Okay, so as far as the player preview on Kevin McCuller, um, we're going to approach these player previews with, with our three metrics, the, the, the ceiling, the floor, most likely outcome. Let's start with the ceiling. What does the ceiling season look like for Kevin McCuller? I feel like the ceiling season for him would be a Jalen Wilson esque season, and I don't I don't mean that on the floor. I mean that off the floor also, like with his leadership style and being the vocal leader of this team. I think he has a the the the, the potential to be that and kind of be that type of player. And then on the court, what that would look like is you know increasing his three point shooting percentage. I think Jalen Wilson shot thirty. Five percent. There's like 34, 34 percent. Yeah, yeah. Which that would be a that would be what three or four percentage points in, increase. Yeah, for Kevin I mean, McCuller. Jalen was taking what like five or six a game. Yeah, Kevin was at like three something like that. Yeah. So 
Yeah, it's so also to me, the volume of it. Yeah, so to me, I think that's probably the ceiling for Kevin McCullough is to have that type of season where he is the clutch go-to guy. He is the vocal leader on and off the court and sort of that, that alpha guy that, that you can look to for, for clutch moments and, and in big games. Uh, and if he increases three-point shooting, I think he can get that. And then, honestly, you factor in that with his defense, and he could be, you know, elevate even higher. So, mm-hmm. to me, that's to me that's the ceiling, that he, he evolves into that number one vocal leader uh, for the team uh, off the court and then on the court maybe becomes that guy that can be, that can increase his three-point shooting percentage from what he's been previously and become that, that dude in big games that KU can lean on if they have if they're having trouble uh, scoring or if you know if teams are trying to take away Hunter Dickinson and if if, if he can become that guy uh, and sort of that clutch shooter type I think that's probably his ceiling. Yeah, I think the ceiling to me is all American. Maybe not first team. It's tough when you're a wing because if you put up 16 and seven and play great defense, we we talked about this the other day with Mikael Bridges, his Villanova stats. He put up like 17 and six for what ended up being the national champion, and he was like second or third team all American. But on one of those teams, I, th- I think that is the ceiling for Kevin. That Yeah, if the offense looks like it did in the Illinois game, we know the defense there, the rebounding will be there. All-American is the ceiling. Uh, as far as playing time, you're looking at mid-30s. The, the big thing for reaching the ceiling, honestly, might just be his health. We've seen yeah. him have uh, injury stuff in the past. Yeah, I mean, he, he hasn't had a whole, he hasn't had a full season where he's been healthy the whole season. He's oh. been dealing with injuries every season, I think. He's okay, uh, what does the floor look like? Floor is probably injury related, right? Yeah, floor is either injury related, three point shooting doesn't get any better, and or it he's gets the worse. same guy who it was last year, which is still an all Big Twelve level player and a really good defender. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think the floor, the floor to me, like the the difference between his floor and his ceiling is going to hinge on his offense because we know the defense is going to be there. We know he's going to be an elite defender night in and night out. So the to me, it, it hinges on on the offensive capability. So if he's just if he's not that guy, if he's not that clutch guy, if he's not that dude that increases his three-point shooting percentage and, is, and he's a more efficient scorer, to me, that, that would be more the floor. Yeah, I, I think that's where it is. And, and, yeah, he's basically the same guy he was last year, which isn't the worst thing in the world because he was a really good player last yeah. year. Uh, yeah. But that would be kind of the floor. I think most likely is, is probably somewhere in between. He averages 15, 16 points per game, maybe 14 points per game. Rebounding, some of the, the other numbers are similar to where they were. Defense is still really impactful. Maybe if he's having to shoulder a bigger offensive load, there are times when it's not as impactful through the game, but in the key moments, it's there. The leadership yeah. stuff's there. Uh, the the realistic thing to me is just, honestly, what, what gets it closer to the ceiling versus the floor is probably going to be the injury stuff. Yeah, yeah, just staying healthy. Uh, and obviously, he went down with an injury late in the Illinois game, right? So that was already uh, a big red flag and, and pretty concerning. But yeah, I think everything you said, you know, probably somewhere in the middle. I, I mean, I have a hard time believing that he's going to be a consistent Mid thirties, three point shooter, but again, maybe if he can be a clutch guy uh, late in game, someone you can rely on to, to make some shots. Uh, and you know, you go back to last season. I mean, Kevin McCullough's defense single handedly won KU multiple games, right? You look at the and Oklahoma his hustle State. won him the game that won the championship. Yeah, I mean, you look you look at the Oklahoma State game. That was uh, that he, he won that game. You know, I think the TCU game also uh, on the road. Uh, he was a big factor there as well. So, uh, yeah, if he can bring that level uh, late in games and be effective offensively. I think I would honestly say I think his, I guess depending on his health, I feel more confident about him being closer to his ceiling than his floor of what we just described. I agree. I agree as well. All right, we got to take a time out. Henry Greenstein joins us next, talking KU football, KU basketball. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Shock Sports Talk. You're listening on KLWN, KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. We're joined now by Henry Greenstein of Lawrence Journal World and KUSports.com. 
All right, Henry, just starting things off where we have uh, started a lot of our conversations, if not all of them recently, uh, is the Jalen Daniels worry scale. We heard from Lance Leipold on Monday, and uh, I, I think the comment was when he's healthy, he's the starter. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but um, he said as of right now, he's not the starter. So uh, take that what you will. That was obviously on uh, Monday. So uh, I don't I don't know. What is the, what is the updated worry scale for Jalen Daniels, which I think was a seven last week? It was, and I think I'm still about around there. Uh, I do think it's interesting to note that that Lance Leipold's comments are getting increasingly abstruse and uh, (laughs) difficult to understand. I think his initial comment was saying, we're not at that point. Uh, Just in general, saying, like, we're not at the point where we are discussing Jalen returning to starting. So that doesn't necessarily bode well for his immediate availability um, like I said last week, I kind of thought after the bye week would be the golden opportunity for him to return with that time off. But just from hearing his comments over the last few days, and I'm, I'm sure there'll be more talk about it in the days to come and probably some tweets from national reporters too. I just, I don't know. Uh, I'm get, getting kind of pessimistic in, in the Jalen Daniels domain right now, but the team seems to have rallied around being, and that's just kind of where it is right now. Well, we have KU basketball tonight, and we saw them on Sunday, only 3 of 12 from 3. What is the bigger worry at this point? Jalen Daniels playing again or KU basketball's three-point shooting? Uh, I'm going to say Jalen Daniels playing again, honestly, simply because of the the limited number of games that remain. Like, if you're going out of this week, which is looking pretty likely, that's, that's only three more opportunities for him to come back and play prior to a bowl game. And then, of course, if we if the bowl game is a possibility, then we got a whole month to talk about that. Um, so that'll be interesting. But no, I think that just because of the sheer amount of time stretching out before KU basketball to work on three point shooting, and I have to acknowledge Bill Self's point yesterday when I asked him about this, which is, you know, three of those were desperation shots, and it's a small sample size, and so you can't draw too much from it, but. Certainly, that will be something that I'm looking at tonight when they play a Division II foe in Fort Hayes State because you should be able to get all the shot opportunities you want. So if you're missing all of them tonight, that'll be a problem. Okay, who takes down Oklahoma in football on Saturday? Um, it is a five-way tie now for first in the Big 12, and Iowa State, who's KU's next opponent, is part of that. KU's actually in sixth of the conference, though they're the third-highest-ranked team in the uh, latest college football playoff rankings. Uh, for for the Big Twelve Power Rankings this week, aksports.com. What I, I guess? How do you even go about sorting out and trying to figure out where some of these top half teams are ranked? Yeah, I just put those up right before I got on the call with you, um, simply because uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it's impossible to decode. I mean, this conference is as much of a mess as I can remember seeing one of these power conferences in recent years. It's super close right now. I mean, I think I put KU up super high, but they still only came in at fourth. But on the other hand, they were only two total points behind K-State, which was in turn only eight total points behind Oklahoma. And that should just give you a good indication of where the writers around the country are at with voting. But, yeah, there is no way of sorting things out. But this weekend will be very revelatory, not only because KU plays Iowa State, which is interesting to see Iowa State's favored in that game, but – you know, there's Bedlam, that'll go a long way, and then K-State versus Texas. And so the general feeling among all these writers and 
just a lot of people that I've talked to is that this will be the weekend that really gives us a sense of what direction that title race is headed. And to your point, KU underdogs against Iowa State. Um, uh, let's let's start with the Cyclones offense. Uh, what about the Cyclones offense? Do you find interesting headed into this matchup with the uh, KU defense? Yeah, I mean they've got three separate running backs. They can throw a lot of different looks at you with those guys. They've been pretty low ranking statistically. But I don't know if I can really judge a team based on that because I said that about Oklahoma State, and then they kind of shredded KU, especially on the ground. So, yeah, this will be another opportunity where KU is going up against what looks like a poor run game. But so far this year they have turned poor run games, with the exception of BYU, uh, into pretty successful rushing attacks. So another chance for, for the defensive tackles and the linebackers to rise the occasion rise to the occasion in that respect. Um, I also just think it's really interesting how much youth there is on Iowa State. On both sides of the ball combined, they only have 10 seniors on scholarship. And if you look at their depth chart for quarterback and running back, it's entirely composed of underclassmen. It's just such a stark contrast from KU, which, as we know, entered the year with the highest amount of returning production of any team in the nation. So, I mean... Yes, KU is going on the road, and they're going into a place where it's tough to play, but I think the experience disparity could give the Jayhawks uh, an edge, especially in that defense versus offense matchup. Flip side of things is strength on strength. KU's offense has been electric this year. Iowa State is a top-10 defense on on some of the metrics, depending where you look. Uh, In in what way do you think KU could have some sort of success, or, or in what way do you think they'll try to attack this Iowa State defense? I could definitely see them pounding the ball again. Um, that, that's, I mean, Iowa State will likely stack the box a lot to prevent against that. But, you know, I just think that it'll be a tough day for Jason Bean once again with how, how aggressive these, these safeties and corners are and the fact that, as we heard today in the press conference, you know, Iowa State comes out in their base coverage and they've got eight guys instead of seven with the way the three three five is set up. I just think it'll be hard for Bean to, to find a lot of open windows. But... Having said that, like I said, I do think Iowa State will, will be throwing a lot of resources into trying to stop Devin Neal and Daniel Highshaw. So this could end up being a game where you just want to try to be balanced. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see uh, kind of that chess match as the game proceeds Saturday. When you look at the final four games of the season, KU now sitting at 6-2, and two, what, what would you deem as a successful final four games in terms of the record over this final push? Hmm. Um, my initial inclination is that three and one is a success at this point because I, I think that Texas Tech and Cincinnati are both games that KU strongly expected to win at this point. Now, you know, Texas Tech will be getting people back. They've been injury prone, and Cincinnati's a tough place to go on the road, especially if that ends up being a night game, Newburgh Stadium at night, much like Jack Trice Stadium, not a place you want to come in. But the way those teams have been playing, KU will be strongly favored in those two. So I think if you can win either at Iowa State or at home against Kansas State, that'll end up being a successful stretch. Uh, I think people are going to come out of this feeling a little disappointed if you don't take either of those games, especially given the significance of the Sunflower Showdown. And when you look at maybe the most difficult game remaining for KU, w- would you lean this one this Saturday because it is a road game, or would you lean to the K-State game in a couple weeks? 
I think I lean slightly toward Kansas State simply because I think I have a little bit more of an optimistic outlook of KU's chances this weekend than most people do. Like I said, Iowa State's favorite, I looked this morning, it's like a two-and-a-half-point spread, and I think that must be super reliant on the fact that it's a primetime home game because I think the – and I understand the three-three-five has given KU trouble in the past, but they did a pretty good job against Oklahoma State's version of that attack, not as well in the running game, surprisingly. I just – and just on a mental level, everything we heard today, and this is a message that originates from Lance Leipold, has gone all the way down, is that KU is sick of – losing the week after they have a big win. I think that message has really pervaded the program. Players were bringing it up kind of unprompted. I think they're a lot more motivated than you would usually expect. Like, you'd think there might be a letdown of sorts after such an emotional win like Saturday, but I'm not seeing any signs of that. So in that respect, too, I just feel like I have a a slightly stronger opinion of KU's chances at Iowa State than most, and so that's why I think that the Kansas State game will likely be the biggest challenge left on the schedule. We're talking with Henry Greenstein, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. We also get KU basketball tonight, exhibition game against against, uh, Fort Hayes State, and uh, I I know we talked a little bit about the three-point shooting already. Uh, Outside of that, the other, I guess, kind of question mark that has really been prompted on coming in from the offseason is the the lack of depth on this year's team. Johnny Furphy didn't play in the first exhibition game. What are your expectations for his role on the court if there will be one tonight against Fort Hayes State? Yeah, I'm excited to see him play, especially because the way things initially sounded when we first talked to Self about the shin splints, it sounded like the timeline was maybe like a few days longer than it has ended up in fact being, especially given that Self said yesterday that Furphy had already been eliminated because he's been in practice for like four or five days, which would go back to when he told us that Furphy had missed 10 days of practice in a row. So I'm not sure how that ended up being actually 14 days. I got I to gotta puzzle over that timeline a bit. Anyway, um, I'm really excited to see him. Uh, I'm excited to see uh, a couple things about him. I mean, the three-point shooting is one that comes to mind. The physicality will be interesting because that's been the number one point of emphasis for him since his arrival. And, you know, he doesn't have the strongest frame as is. And you're going to be going up against Division Two guys, so you'd hope you could, like, withstand drives and, and post things pretty well. So I'll be keeping an eye on those. Um, and, you know, the goal for Self is to have him play 15 to 20 minutes. So the road to proving that you deserve that starts with doing well right now. Uh, I don't expect him to play that much tonight. From what we've heard, he was, again, he was, he was totally out of practice for that entire stretch. So I, I think he probably won't be super comfortable just yet. But, you know, it's not too far before they play Kentucky, and if you want to get 15 to 20 minutes against Kentucky, you've got to start showing something right now. So uh, I'll be interested to see how motivated he comes out tonight. What would be most beneficial for KU for for how they feel going into the season? Would it be Johnny Furphy looking really good in those limited minutes? Would it be Nick Timberlake hitting a bunch of threes tonight? Or would it be El Marco Jackson looking uh, much improved from his first game? I will say El Marco simply because that's what we've been told by Bill Self. He believes El Marco is a player that will sort of have the highest leverage in determining whether KU can reach its maximum potential this year. And against Illinois, we did see brief moments where it's like, okay, this is the El Marco Jackson thing. Like, you know, he's just kind of standing at the perimeter and suddenly zooms in for a layup. That's what you want to see him do all the time. 
Uh, but doing that more consistently and operating more comfortably within the bounds of the offense as well as the defensive scheme uh, are things that we're just going to need to see like more and more experience for him to get acclimated to those. Um, every little bit of time he spends on the court helps. Uh, he did start against Illinois. I wouldn't be surprised if Timberlake gets to start tonight, just based on the way we've seen himself do things. Um, but yeah, El Marco Jackson for sure. When you look at Hunter Dickinson, I, I think it's been kind of an interesting start to his KU career. Obviously, nothing has been you know for the start of the regular season, but uh, there was the one game in Puerto Rico where he missed like one shot and had nearly thirty points. There was. I think the first game in Puerto Rico maybe struggled a little bit with the shooting. The Illinois game, he winds up with 22-9, and nine, which is really good, but took 20 shots to get there, a bit of a slower start. Uh, what, what have kind of been your, I, I don't know, have you had to reevaluate at all your, your expectations or rethink about what the proper way to, uh, I guess, estimate what Hunter Dickinson is going to bring to the table this year based on what we've seen in the early going? Yeah, it's a nuanced conversation. I read about this the other day because on the one hand, you say, well, maybe people just had overly high expectations for Hunter. You know, I, I mean, the, the level of publicity surrounding his transfer, the fact he's now playing at Kansas, the fact that Bill Self calls him the most offensive center, maybe that was just too much and that level of stratospheric hype is something no one can prepare to. But on the other hand, if there was anyone who was going to match it, like, this is who it would be, just based on his performance. It's not like he's coming up from someplace like Towson, no offense to Nick Timberlake, but he's proven against high-level competition that he can produce. So I think you have a right, as a KU fan, in some respects, to expect him to be a dominant player. And honestly, I think he will. I think he will settle into that role. Uh, I was indeed not super impressed with what I saw against Illinois. The shot selection was good, but... The shots were just consistently errant. He, he, he looked a little awkward on defense at times. I think it was far from peak Hunter Dickinson performance. Um, but I suspect that when the lights are brightest and when he's had a few weeks of, of gameplay, uh, we'll start to see something at least vaguely resembling like what people expected out of him. Talking with Henry Greenstein, KUSports.com. Maybe it's something that I've already asked you here or we've already gone over, but what is the number one thing you're going to be on the lookout for having a scrutinized eye for tonight in the exhibition against Fort Hayes State? I mean, my number one thing is just watching Furphy just because of all the expectations surrounding him and the fact that, like I said, I didn't expect him to come out and play this soon. So that's what I'll be keeping on my eye on uh, primarily. Um, as well as Hunter Dickinson, uh, this is a game where you'd really like to see him go into the post just routinely and without much issue. Uh, if he doesn't do that, maybe that adds on to your concern a little bit. But, yeah, those are really the main things. Just kind of the same things I was looking at at Illinois because they didn't do much to, like, address any concerns that I may have had in those particular areas. So this is a chance for them to, to start down a more positive road uh, with the start of the season just five days away. All right, and uh, what can people find? What can people uh, check out on KUSports.com right now? Yeah, with the crossover season, it's been a, a pretty prolific sort of few weeks for me and the rest of the team. Um, just keep reading all the coverage. Check out those Big 12 power rankings. Um, and, yeah, I'm trying to continue to provide a diverse uh, array of things that people will enjoy, and so I hope you all consider reading them. All right, he's Henry Greenstein, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Thanks again, Henry. All right, thank you. That was Henry Greenstein, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. One hour down, one and a half to go. We got KU coverage starting at 530 tonight 
Hawk Talk will take over at 6 till 7, and then back to KU basketball coverage at 7 o'clock right here on your original home for the Hawks with KLWN. KU Mailbag coming up on the other side with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. We're out at 5.30 today because of pregame coverage for KU Fort Hayes State. So we're going to go to pregame coverage at 5.30, and that is going to stop at 6 o'clock because Hawk Talk with Brian Haney and Lance Leipold over at Johnny's Tavern will go till 7 o'clock, and then uh, KU Basketball plays at 7 o'clock against Fort Hayes State right here on KLWN, as well as our sister station with 105.9 KISS. So we still have some Bill Self audio we're going to get to you. We have Rock Truck Pickahawk, some more KU Fort Hayes State talk throughout the show, and uh, we got some more audio coming throughout as well. Right now, though, it is time for the KU Mail. Actually, you know what? Let's just skip it. Let's go. Let's what? just skip it this week. No. Yeah, we don't need Dude, to no. This. No. Why are you... Why you do that? No. No. KU Mailbag time, baby. Yeah. All right. Thank you to everybody submitting questions. You can do the same for next week at RCST1320 on Twitter. If you don't have Twitter, no worries. RCST1320am at gmail.com. If you don't have email, I'm sorry. Or I guess you uh, can send in a letter. You can send a letter. Yeah. yeah. But just, you'd have to be, you'd have to be quick because we'd have to get it. Or it'd just have to be non-timely. Yeah. It could be I something that isn't based on that week's events. First one is from me. That's true. What? Like, why do you think... From me? Corey, Wait, from, from Hawkman? From, from Derek. Me on from Twitter? Derek. Oh, no. no, from you, Derek. Me, 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 me. Why do you think corn dogs suck? Dude, We were talking about there. I found out are... Nick does not like corn dogs. Corn dogs are so overrated. Most overrated food it's of all time. It's literally a hot dog in, like, deep-fried batter. What is but I'd rather like just eat it? a regular hot dog at that point. That's my thing. I mean, there are times where, yes, a regular hot dog is better, but, like... Objectively, a corn dog is good. No, I have never met someone until corn dogs are you overrated. Said corn dogs are not good. <laughs> no. Am I saying corn dogs are the greatest food ever? No, but corn dogs are objectively good. No, disagree. Rather just eat a hot dog. Under no circumstances do I even find myself wanting to eat a corn dog ever. You're seriously the first person I've ever met who's like corn dogs are gross. <laughs> I'm sure there's somebody else out there. There's probably somebody else who's, who's not along with you and like fight fight the good fight. Yep, somebody in there is like, yes, this guy has great takes all the time. <laughs> Uh, this is uh, first real one from Steven. If you could guarantee a KU win, here's another one of these Andors. Oh, here, here we go thing. again. If you could guarantee a KU win at Iowa State on Saturday, but it meant KU losing to Kentucky in the Champions Classic, would you take it? Yes, absolutely I would, 1,000%. KU has lost in the Champions Classic in the past, and it's been totally fine. Now, hypothetically, if you don't take this guarantee, they still could win. They could win Iowa both. State. I guess they this could win both. This is not him saying if you don't yeah. take it, they're guaranteed to lose. That makes sense. They could win both. Mm-hmm. They could win if you say no. But uh, no, I'm taking this to the I'm taking this to the blood bank all day, every day. Yes, give me this uh, because KU can lose on Champions Classic and it can be absolutely totally fine. And I mean, does, nobody even remembers the times KU's lost the Champions Classic in the past. So there you go. Point, point, point taken right there. Uh, whereas if you beat Iowa State, dude. Now the Arlington talk starts to turn up a little bit more. You're seven and two. Texas Tech rolling into town, and then you got the big one against Kansas State. Like, sheesh, man. I mean, seriously. So to me, this is this this is an easier one. This is an easy one for me. Absolutely, one thousand percent, yes. I would I, say lose by twenty to Kentucky. I don't care. Yeah, I I would take this too. I mean, the Iowa State way because. At this point in time, like the Iowa State game, you could argue is your toughest game remaining. I would still think it's Kansas State. That feels like the toughest to me. But the fact that you get K-State at home, Iowa State's on the road in a night environment. Technically, yeah. Iowa State's tied I mean, with Kansas State. The tu- I mean, let's think about it. I mean, the tough part about the K-State game is just the fact that, you know, they're on a 
nine billion game winning streak and they've they've been dominant in the series, right? I think if 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 the KU if if KU and K State had been like trading wins back and forth like the past five years, I think you would without a doubt say Iowa State's the toughest game left. Yeah. But it's the rivalry of it, it's the magnitude of it, it's you know, everything that K State's done very well against KU, that makes it the toughest game. But I kind of agree with you. I think Iowa State's probably tougher. And if you beat Iowa State, there's a good chance you're gonna be ranked the rest of the season. Yes. Right? I mean, if you beat Iowa State, you'll probably be top 20 the following week. You I mean, think about where you'd be ranked Tech. in the college football playoff rankings after that. I know. See? It'd be so fun to, like, see, uh, like, what if they get to 17? You're like, oh, they just got to climb uh, up five more spots uh, to get into a New uh, York uh, Six Bowl, right? Uh, just, there's something fun about it. Uh, so, yeah, I would take that. This one from Hawkman. Which, in your opinion, is a bigger touchdown for KU football fans? Devin Neal on Saturday against Oklahoma. So, the one that put him up 38-33. Eventually, they win the game. Or Todd Reesing to Kerry Meyer in the 2008 Missouri game, which was the uh, snow game that KU defeated Missouri in. Mm. I think this is kind of an easy one, too. Uh, I'm going to go the, with the, the bigger one, I think, is the Kerry Meyer one. You look at the Devin Neal touchdown, and while it was significant, obviously, and gave KU the win, you look at the circumstances of it. First of all, Oklahoma wanted him to score. They were, they were, they were trying to let him score. So it wasn't... If it was like more of a last-second thing, I think you'd have more of a debate here. But given the circumstances and how... KU got down the field, you know, Devin Neal runs it in, and but again, OU wasn't even trying to stop him. They wanted him to score to preserve some time for themselves. I, I think, to me, the Kerry Meyer one's bigger. I agree. It's the Kerry Meyer one. Just in general, like, rivalry games are going to matter more, and there's so much Yeah, lower. I mean, it's a big win for the, against Oklahoma, but you're right. The Missouri, Missouri games need more. meant so much, too. I mean, it was in the snow, and it was the year after they had just beaten you to, to end your undefeated season. Like, that one, I think, just is more, but... Here's the way that this turns. This season is not complete. Okay. If Kansas does win their next four games and goes to the Big 12 championship game, I think I would argue Devin Neal. Because at that point, then that would be a pivotal data point along the way in you reaching heights that you haven't reached before. Yeah, but I just have a hard time getting over the fact that Oklahoma let him score. I know. It's more about what it represents. Yeah, but it wasn't a a cool touchdown. There was the one guy who tried to tackle him. (laughs) Okay, good job. One guy. <laughs> it's just like it, it's what it represents, and if it, I, I, I get all if that, it it's represents just... the state, the the basically the what got you the win, the the play that that rings out, the touchdown that rings out of a, of what got you your biggest win of the season that you end up going to the Big Twelve title for the first time ever. As much as the Missouri one was important and big, that team went eight and five. So if if they do reach that point, then I would say it would be the Devin Neal one. But that means you have a long way to go before we get there, so it's it's definitely the Missouri one right now. Yeah, yeah. This one from Frank. First win at Ames since 2008. First win versus Kansas State since 2008. First over 500 record in Big 12 play since 2008. How many of these does Lance Leipold end this season with? Which is most important for him to end? Mm. Uh well I mean okay what are they at in conference play right now three they and are two three and two I believe so they'd have to get they'd so have they have to go two and UCF, two down the stretch BYU win. Oklahoma yeah. so they'd have to go what what'd you say two and two two and two the rest of the way to finish above five hundred in conference play yeah and if you're and if you're I think this is a question where if you're saying yes to the first two or even one of the first two the third one you're probably saying yes to also right I mean Texas you're getting Texas Tech at home in a down year Cincinnati's one of the worst teams in the conference you feel like you should be able to win. At least one of those. So then, if you say that he, they're going to win one of these other two against Iowa State or K State, that gets you to over 500. So I think, I think he definitely has the over 500 in Big 12 play. So number three, I'm saying yes. 
Now it just becomes a matter of, do you think they're going to win in Ames or win against Kansas State? I think I mentioned this earlier in the year. It's kind of now or never for KU to beat Kansas State. It feels like to me. I mean, if you can't beat them this year with this team, I don't know. I don't know when you're going to beat them. I mean, I mean, I hate to say, I hate to put it that way, but like, this is your best chance. You're going to get them at home. This is your best chance. This is the best chance you've had to to beat K State in 15 years. I almost want to say you get one of the two, but I think even so too. then I could see them. Like, if you go two and two down the stretch, those losses could be K State, Iowa State. Those are your two toughest games. You know, so there's a chance you only yeah. get one of these three. Sure. If you're if you're giving me what's most likely among these, I would say first over 500 record in Big 12 play is the most likely. Yeah, I agree with that. Second most likely, it's a coin flip. <laughs> it really is between <laughs> Iowa State and, and K State one. Yeah, because you going on the road. I honestly think second most likely is the Iowa State one, and then third most likely is K State. <sighs> Dude, I don't know, man. I I think it's more likely. I think it's more likely to be K State. Okay. Which is most important to end, it would be K State for sure, right? Yeah, I think from a recruiting standpoint and from a like it's almost like that's that would be I'm trying to find a way to phrase this. That would almost be like the final checkbox of like Like the OU one was like a national recruiting thing. The K State yes. one would be like a local recruiting Yeah, thing. and for the KU fan base, right. it would be the final checkbox, uh or final checking the last box of like okay, nice. Here's you know, here's come the comparison. Back, Bowl game first, you know, first time you're going to take bowl games in over 100 years, and you finally check that last box of beating Kansas State. Well, first time back to back bowl games since 08. But um, oh right, sorry, yeah. If first time back to back seasons was it starting 4-0 since like something like 19? that? Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. So if, if for which is most important to end, if you're saying the the K State one theoretically, like okay, what what do you think would be a better season at this point? Would it be going seven and five, where you beat K State? Or would it be going eight and four where you lose to K State? I think it's well again. I've I've K-State. maintained all along, yeah, that it's seven and five and beat K State. Well, I said the nine and three would be better than the seven and five with K. But seven and five to eight and four, that to me is is enough. Yeah, to, I think you take the so yeah. most important end. Yes, it's K State. All right, Scott has two this week. Uh, w- this is for you specifically, Nick. <laughs> would you introduce yourself as Jackhammer Springer for the rest of your life if it somehow would inspire KU to a college football playoff appearance next year. Okay. So, is this saying that I have to legally change my name or do I just have to on first reference when I meet somebody say that that's my name? Cuz I think that changes the answer. I think it legally has to be your name. Cuz if I if I have to legally change my name, that's bad. I don't know that you have I mean, to legally change your name and you have to introduce yourself as Jack Hammer. Because it's, you know, you know, people, well, lots of people have nicknames, you know, people who are William, Bill, people who are, you know, you, you have short nicknames of whatever sure. your name is. Or well, people, you know, you'll see people go by their middle names, right? So yeah. if I just have to introduce myself as Jack Hammer upon first meeting, but no, but then, that, it, and then I can say, well, that's not my real name. That's just what I go yeah, by. The only problem that would, that would hurt you in is if you were in a big crowd of people. And then you had to introduce yourself to the first person, shake their hand, and be like, "I'm Jack Hammer Spring," and they're like, "Oh, what's that's an interesting name." And you'd be like, "I'm just joking. My name's actually Nick." And then the second person who was there already in the conversation goes, "Hi, I'm Larry," and, and you, you shake say, Jack, and go, "Hi, say- I'm Jack Hammer Springer. And you have to keep repeating the same thing. And they're like, "What is up with this guy? Why does he keep repeating the same joke?" That would be pretty brutal. But no, I, th- I think you have to actually like change legally change that. my name. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think the problem here is he just says CFP appearance. And remember, the CFP is expanding to 12 teams. Yes. 
So what if I just take my chances that Lance is going to get KU to the CFP anyways in the next couple of years? But if you're guaranteed a CFP appearance next year, doesn't that mean the program continues to rise up? And doesn't that set you up better to make more CFP appearances possibly in the future? You would think. I think in order to change my name to Jackhammer Springer, I would need a guarantee of like multiple CFP appearances. Like one you know, a decade I, for the rest of your life. Would you do it? No, it'd have to be like one every five years. Okay. One every, one every senior class? Yeah, one every five years or four years. Uh, this other one from Scott. In the world where KU actually beat Oklahoma State, and there's already a 12-team playoff. So basically we're, we're saying instead of 14 playoff, there's 12-team playoff right now, and let's say KU would have won the Oklahoma State game, whether it's the offside call or Jason Bean doesn't throw one of the interceptions or whatever happens. What would their matchup slash path look like, and how would you handicap their chances for at least one win? Well, fortunately, college football playoff rankings came out last night. And uh, The Athletic went ahead and uh, a bunch of different publications did this, but I just have the one pulled up with The Athletic. Uh, did what the 12-team playoff would actually look like right now based on some of the rules, which some of the rules are like the top four seeds go to you have to win your conference and you get the home games. And they're like there there's certain rules and simplifications. So uh, here, here's what the path would look like right now, even with just what it is right now. Ohio State 1, Georgia 2, Florida State 3, Washington 4, Michigan 5. Um, that would be the conference champion thing, which would be what swaps them. Oregon would be six. Texas would be seven. Bama eight. OU nine. Ole Miss 10. Penn State 11 would be the final, uh, I guess, at large. And Tulane would be the 12 seed as the highest ranked group of five like champion in there as the 12 seed. That's so sad because Air Force is right there. I know. They are right there. So we'll, we'll see who ends up getting there. But, okay, the first part of this. Hypothetically, KU beats uh, Oklahoma State. So they're seven and one. They're seven and one at this point, and their best wins would be over Oklahoma, Oklahoma at State. Oklahoma State, BYU, UCF, and in, in Illinois. Oh yeah. So you're trying to get them in to to get in the playoff at that point. That means they have to be better than some of these teams. So let's let's start with uh, uh, let's go down to I don't know Oklahoma. Would they be in ahead of Oklahoma? Oklahoma's ranked ninth. If Kansas would have beaten Oklahoma State, both would be seven and one. Kansas would have the head-to-head over Oklahoma. Oklahoma's second-best wins, Iowa State. Third-best is UCF. KU's fourth-best at that point would be UCF. But is is the win over Oklahoma enough for the committee to be like, yeah, but OU beat Texas, and that's better than even KU's best win, and KU got blown out by Texas? I Yeah, I almost I wonder how much the uh, committee would factor in the backup the quarterback situation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, KU beats Oklahoma with a backup quarterback. Good point. And they've won games with a backup quarterback. So if they, if Jalen Daniels is going to come back, then that would probably elevate, I think, Kansas even more. But do you think they'd be ranked ahead of Oklahoma in the CFP rankings if they would have beat Oklahoma State? Mm, I kind of don't think they. I would. don't think so either. But it's if nothing else, like just because if nothing else, just because Oklahoma is a national brand and people, you yeah. Know, well, it's, it's easy to be like, oh, same record head-to-head. Okay, but Oklahoma, same record as Texas, and they won head-to-head, but they're behind them. It's the overall body of work thing. The head-to-head is only if everything else is even. So I think they'd still be behind Oklahoma with the Oklahoma State win. Uh, let's see. Ole Miss would be the next one up. So here's Ole Miss's resume. They're 7-1. and one. If Kansas beat Oklahoma State, they'd also be 7-1. and one. Ole Miss' best victory is LSU. KU's best victory is would still be Oklahoma. That's a little bit better than the LSU one, if you're just looking at the rankings. Yep. Ole Miss' second-best victory is at Tulane. KU's second-best victory would be at, at Oklahoma State. Mm. 
which right now Oklahoma State is ranked ahead of Tulane, but if you're beating they, Oklahoma State, yeah, they they're no be. longer ranked ahead of Tulane. Yeah, they so their second best win is slightly better than yours, but your first two wins are both pretty equal if you just look at them together. I think you'd still be behind Ole Miss. Ole Miss' third best win is at Auburn by seven. Your third best win would be BYU by 11. And then Ole Miss, their loss was by 14 at Bama, whereas you lost by 26 at Texas. So I, I yeah. think I think Ole Miss would still probably still Ole be ahead of you. Yeah. Which means you only have one other shot to get into the playoff at this point if they were there right now, which would be Penn State, who would be the 11 seed. Penn State is 7-1 and one as well. Their loss is at Ohio State by 8 points, but it was the game that they scored a late touchdown to make it that way. Um, so their loss probably better than your loss is. Yeah, But overall. you have better wins. Their best win is Iowa right now, 31-0. Oklahoma's way better win than that. Their second best win is West Virginia. Okay, at Oklahoma State would be a better win than that. Their third best win is at Illinois by 17. You you handled Illinois yeah. in the same way. You actually outyarded them by more than Penn State did. Um, I guess Northwestern might actually be their third best win. That was on the road. But even then, like, I don't know, BYU and Northwestern, like, that's pretty similar there. So I think you could argue Kansas. I don't know if they would because I think they'd be like, well, Penn State's only lost to our, to our one seed, you know? So I don't think yeah. they would be in right now, even with the Oklahoma State one. But where would they be ranked exactly? I mean, in that 14, 15, 16 range. Yeah, they would. I mean, they'd listen, probably be ranked Mizzou, between Missouri, Louisville. I was going to say, honestly, Mizzou is 12. I think they'd be ranked out of Louisville. I think they yeah. might be right one spot behind Missouri. They might be in front of Missouri. But if you look at it from Louisville's perspective, they have the big win over Notre Dame. You have the big win over Oklahoma. Um, they Oklahoma lost, wins better than that. Yes. And Louisville's loss was blowout to Pitt. Yours was kind of a blowout loss, but it was to Texas. So I, th- yeah. I think they'd be in the top 13 for yeah. sure. So they'd be right on the cusp, which would, uh, at the very least, be pretty cool. That'd be sick. It would be. Now, hypothetically, let's say they did get in as the 11 seed and they were facing the 6 seed, which would be Oregon. Scott asked me to power rank it. Well, the unfortunate part of this is that Oregon is one of those teams that is seen very highly by the power ratings. I'm on Action Network's power ratings. They're actually third in, like, the betting power rankings. Wow. And so if Oregon were to play Kansas on a probably, neutral field. They'd probably be, like, 20-point favorites, I bet. Let's see. That's not working for me. Why work? Okay, well. Oh, here it is. Okay, 81 and a half. They'd be 14-point favorites okay. on a neutral field. Okay. Not as much as you think. That's, yeah, that's not, that's not, that's not yeah. as much. Okay, this one from uh, His Dirkness. I'm assuming a big Dirk Nowitzki fan. Yes. KU's win over Oklahoma was equivalent to what round NCAA tournament win for KU basketball? Mm. So I'm just assuming this is by like, like what? Like important like celebration? celebration? Impor- yeah. So I mean, it's, it's so hard to compare because at the end of the day, the NCAA tournament is like, like if KU yeah. lost Oklahoma, their season goes on. You lose in the NCAA yeah. tournament, it's over. Pack it up. Yeah. I mean, it's probably equivalent to a second weekend win, right? Probably like a Sweet 16 win. Yeah. I can't quite call it. So, okay, I guess this would be the equivalent, right? I mean, the final four, you do have a college football playoff, which is four. So that makes your your Big 12 championship game is kind of like the Elite Eight. Yeah. So the path to get to the Elite Eight, the tough games are like the Sweet 16 games. Yeah, I'd say yeah, it's Sweet kinda 16. Kind of like Sweet 16. Yeah. I so, well, I don't know, but from a program from a program perspective for KU football, it's bigger than a Sweet 16 win for KU basketball. From that standpoint, it's like making— So maybe it's more, uh, maybe it's more like a Final Four or like an Elite Eight win to go to the Final Four. You hang a banner for making a Final Four. You don't hang a banner for beating OU. In the regu- yeah, in the regular season, yeah. I think it's like maybe Sweet not. Yeah, okay. Okay. I think it makes sense. Yeah. This one from Tucker. If KU and K-State both win out leading up to the Sunflower Showdown, what is the probability of game day or big noon? I think game day is like— Slam dunk guarantee. Well, so what is it's K State six and two as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So both teams at that point, if they both went out, like Tucker's saying, they would both be eight and two. And Kansas is ranked twenty first right now. K 
K-State's ranked 23rd. And on top of that, to win out, that means K-State would have to win at Texas this week. So yeah. K-State would probably be top a top 15 at that point. KU might be right around there yeah. at the very least. And when you look at the games that are in Week 12, the big one that everyone was circling before the season began was Georgia-Tennessee. Now, Tennessee's Tennessee, still ranked 17th. They but, stink. No, they stink. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know how great they are. So we'll see. That That is one that's a possibility. Uh, Michigan at Maryland, that doesn't really do much for you. Washington at Oregon State, that could be an interesting one. Okay, dude, sneaky. If Air Force is undefeated and UNLV is like keeps winning, sneaky Air Force. UNLV. Okay, I like that one. Uh, UCLA, USC, they just don't really get great crowds at the LA one, so I don't know that they'll do that. Plus, USC is no longer a national title contender, so that takes away some of the luster there. I mean, Louisville at Miami, I guess that's... Oh, dude, that's you got to go to Alabama, Chattanooga. Come on. Oh, there you go. Utah, Arizona, best three-loss team in the country versus the Pig <laughs> Farmer. I mean, that's pig Farmer, Mr. Pig. No, I'd be, I'd be okay with that. Go watch Mr. Pig. Uh, I think the biggest threats, though, would be Washington, Oregon State, and Georgia, Tennessee. And I'm telling you, man, sneaky Air Force UNLV. The thing is with with Tennessee, they're ranked 17th, so they have the ranking to to go there, and they've they, they, that game's been talked about all year long. So it feels like they've been building up the hype. But here's Tennessee the, does have a game at Missouri the week before. The week before. So what if Tennessee loses that game? Does that take away some of the luster? Yeah. I would say there's probably like if K State and KU win out. I mean, obviously 30% we're percent chance. Obviously we are biased. I'll say thirty percent chance. Obviously we are biased. Mm-hmm. But I mean, eight and two Kansas versus eight and two in Kansas State. Which, to be clear, thirty percent is a big number. That like, is a big I could number. be like Georgia, Tennessee has thirty. I mean, think about it. There's Washington. You know, out of the top 36. twenty-five games, yeah. there's you know, there's tons of options. I I feel like it would be a slam dunk. I mean, I it, it would be make more likely sense. for game day though than Big Noon. Since I agree. They already came for Big Noon. Yeah, it'd be it'd be game day. Yeah, yeah. that's right. my thought. That is our uh, KU mailbag. Thank you to everybody for submitting questions. You can hit us up with questions for next week at RCST1320 or with our email at RCST1320AM at gmail.com. We're going to get on to some Kevin McCuller audio, or uh, not Kevin McCuller, uh, Marco Jackson audio coming up on the other side and get to his player preview. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We continue on with our player previews next up is the freshman shooting guard. Will he start tonight? Will it be Nick Timberlake? We'll find out. He did start against Illinois in the first exhibition. Here is uh, members of the media and Nick meeting with El Marco Jackson. And you see Grady's success from last year. Do you feel like you can emulate that a little bit as a freshman or these next few years? I hope. Yeah, I hope. Man, he, he had a great freshman year. Um, hopefully I have a great freshman year as well. But, uh, you know, I'm just trying to... You know, the squad that we have this year, I'm focused on, you know, trying to put a banner up. Margaret, one word, if someone asked you to describe your game in one word, what would it be? I say explosive. And has that always been kind of your game? Yeah, I I feel like I've just been an explosive athlete since day one. You know, when I first started playing basketball, I used to run so fast, like the ball would dribble behind me, so... Uh, I say coming to a school like Kansas is one thing, but coming in as a freshman and being mentioned as a possible starter is a, a different animal. How, how have you prepared for this? I mean, what's what's been kind of the steps along the way to, for you to get where you are now? Uh, just having a good group of people around me. Um, you know, I got a bunch of people that uh, you know that don't that aren't yes men. You know, they tell me the truth, even if it's harsh. And I appreciate them for that so much because it's built me into the person I am today. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to just take it with a grain of salt. You know, I could start, maybe I, you know, couldn't. But at the end of the day, 
still just trying to, you know, help win basketball games and not the ones. Do what I do best, though, just put the ball in the hoop, get others involved, play defense. Hey, you're Coach Self for a second. I want to break down about Marco Jackson from Coach Self. What would he say about you, you, you think? <laughs> a lot of talent, um, super explosive, uh, you know, gets other players involved. Um, and is uh, just a working process dog. Have you envisioned this? I mean, have you, when you're in this place, do you look around and kind of visualize what could be? 100%. It's uh, late night when I get in the gym, when I'm by myself, just working on my moves. Yeah, I think about, you know, having this whole place packed up against a, a K-State game or UConn or something like that and hitting a move in the shot the crowd go crazy like this is stuff that you dream about as a kid so um you know every single day i i appreciate this to the fullest and um you know every time every single time i walk in that locker room I'm just blessed. and it's um you know i just try to you know remember that i'm in a super great situation like i can't be more blessed in the situation and last one for me if if there is an area or a couple areas where you're ready to contribute where would it be you think I would say defense, and then um, I say transition offense, making other players better. Um, you know, just all facets of the game. I don't, you know, yeah. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. What, what maybe surprised you most about KU Lawrence since you've been here? What, what was something you didn't realize when you first got here that surprised you the most? You know, I thought it was going to be a little bit more country. <laughs> I thought it was going to be country, um, but it's not. It's really like it's really diverse. You know, mastery is really diverse. They got a really good Greek spot. Um, the mad Greek that I like. So I thought it was going to be a little bit more country, but not. But that's the, I'd probably say that's the thing that most surprised me. And then also, too, coming from Jersey, we have, like, a fast lane on the highway. So it's like I'm thinking, like, y'all have the fast lane, too, but y'all don't have the fast lane. So that, I feel like it's two culture shotguns. And just being so close to the ocean, like, I'm, I'm an hour away from the shore, and it's just like, I'm like, damn, there's no, no, like, no ocean out here, so. You ever checked out, like, Clinton Lake, though? They got kind of oh, some yeah, beach-type stuff there. Yeah, I've been to Clinton Lake. Yeah. I'm sure it's not the same. Yeah, yeah, but I said those two things. Those okay. two things. Off the court, let's say maybe you just need to mentally reset or kind of get your mind off basketball. What are some things you might try to do to just kind of give yourself a mental break from basketball or a mental reset? Um play video games <laughs> I'm, I'm a kid so uh yeah i play video games i play fifa uh with johnny furphy um me <laughs> hey johnny justin justin jank you get johnny I'm going to let him come over here and tell y'all this story. <laughs> uh, All right, what are you playing, 24, 23? Uh, no, we'll play a full game. No, the, the new one or the old one? Oh, like 23. 23, 23, yeah. All right, well, we're waiting on Johnny. Uh, you wear number 13, any significance to that, or was it just kind of given to you, or any reason behind that? Um, well, my birthday is April 13th, so I've all, I, you know, just had it because my birthday, and then it's, it's said to be an unlucky number, so... I don't know. I thought it was cool. Well, we just had Friday the 13th earlier in October. Do you, do you believe in that? Yeah, I think so. I want a black cat, so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Speaking of Halloween, uh, it's coming up. Do you have a favorite Halloween candy? Um, Snickers. I love Snickers. Okay. Yeah. As a kid, did you ever dress up, or do you ever have, do you have a Halloween costume that you're most memorable, or that you most remember the most of from your childhood? 
was a bottle of, like mayonnaise in like fourth grade. Me and my friends, yeah. My friend was ketchup, I was mayo. Uh, one of my friends was mustard, and another was relish. So, do you actually like mayo in real life? When I get a BLT, I get honey mustard on it. So, yeah. good choice, good choice. Good luck, Caesar. Thank you. Thank Thanks. You. We got a bunch of good interviews. I'm excited for the Johnny Furphy one, but it's going to be tough to beat that one. That was good. Uh, Marco's <laughs> showing so much character. I love that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, obviously, love that. Yeah, obviously, you know, for a freshman, he he was very relaxed, mm-hmm. very open, and and seemed very comfortable, which is, I think, a really great sign. Yeah. Um. By the way, I loved his shout out to Mad Greek. Mad Greek. Honestly, that's probably my wife's favorite restaurant in Lawrence. I love Mad Greek too. It's very, very, very good. But uh, cool for cool for that. So, uh, El Marco Jackson, as far as the player preview part of this, ceiling and floor. What does the ceiling for El Marco look like this season? Yeah, I mean, he's he's arguably one of the biggest X factors for this team in terms of what they might be in the future. Uh, I mean, I think his ceiling is that he could be uh, a one-and-done, right? I mean, he could be a guy that is electric with the ball in his hands and, and creates a ton of shots for himself and is explosive. And, uh, you know, I almost wonder if – I don't know if this is a really a good comparison or not, but you go back to, like, a Devon, like Devon Dotson. You know, maybe maybe not so much with the defense there, but Devon Watson was more optimistic on defense. But just that, that insane quickness, that insane explosive first step. And for Omarco, the good news is that he's he's not having to shoulder, shoulder the burden of being the primary ball handler in the offense, right? So that maybe he can open it up a little bit more. But uh, yeah, that that's his ceiling, right? I mean, if he's if he's averaging you know double digit points per game and is slashing to the basket, cutting the basket with the ball in his hands, and and showing off that explosive speed that we've heard so much about. And creating opportunities for for teammates as well with that cutting ability, getting to the rim. Uh, to, to me, that that's his ceiling, right? And and then obviously that would lead to him probably being a you know a first round draft pick and, and being a one and done type. So that's that's his ceiling. I agree with the the first round draft pick. Like that's the ceiling for this year. And I I think it's it's hard when you when you talk about like putting numbers on it because of the fact that like Hunter Dickinson, Kevin McCuller, like those are going to be your two first options out there. And even K.J. Adams has probably put up double-digit points yeah, exactly. per game. What's the most, Harris, right? Like, what's the most amount of points that Michael Jackson could average per game? Like, 12? 13? I was thinking 12 or 13. I was thinking the and same thing. And even then, that, that feels a little high because, like, you could see El Marco Jackson being the guy who averages, he could even average, like, 9 or 10 points per game, 3 or 4 assists, but have so many good flashes. And because you are a a secondary piece in terms of having all those other established guys, you're still a first-round draft pick. Like, uh, winning cures all in that regard, and, and he could still have the impact of that high-level guy. It's just tougher when you're talking about the individual stats there. What, what do yeah. you think of uh, the Devon Dotson? No, of I, I think that's a good one. Like, El Marco, it's, it's the same idea of having this super-fast point guard. I think El Marco's a better passer than Devon Dotson was. Um Devon again, was an unbelievable Dotson, scorer, though. Yeah, so he's and, got a ways to go there. He was optimistic. He he was not a great defender, but he was very opportunistic. Right. Yes, he had he a lot was. of steals, and that would be a good spot for a Marco to be in. Though I don't know, maybe because of the fact that if they're going to want to rest Dewan and Kevin, maybe they're going to need him to be more of just kind of the lockdown guy. But I I think the the ceiling for El Marco is is uh, it's hard when I when I keep saying like all league player because. All of the starters have potential <laughs> to be an all-league player, but you know you're not going to get five guys on there. Yeah. Just, the math doesn't work out that way. Yeah. Um, like even the 08 team, that won the national title and was unbelievable and probably could have had all five guys on there, didn't because that's just not how the numbers work. But like in terms of impact, can he be one of the top 25 players in the Big 12? Yeah. It's possible, yeah. So I think uh, uh, sky's the limit for him. And, and to your point, it's it's a first round draft pick ceiling, which I, I think that just kind of reads into the impact that he could have on the floor. What yeah. what is the floor for El Marco this year? Oh boy, uh, I mean, I think the floor is is maybe he just has a hard time 
channeling the energy that he has, channeling the explosiveness that he has. Maybe, you know, uh, he might have trouble with kind of driving recklessly and not really seeing the floor well and, and, and being able to find teammates to finish at the rim. And maybe it takes him some time as a freshman. I mean, you know, listen, freshman under Bill Self, it's not a, it's not a guarantee that you're going to be, uh, you know, right away playing a lot, you know. So uh, I, I, I don't know. I think that's probably his floor is that he's just not really that that impactful of a, of a score and and maybe has some defensive troubles as well and and kind of struggles in that area and, and I think that's probably his floor you know where it just it doesn't quite work for him I mean you, you go back to last season and like you look at a guy like Grady Dick and then you look at a guy like MJ Rice do I think El Marco Jackson's floor is like MJ Rice no no I think he's gonna be I think at his worst he'll still be a more impactful player and playing more and being more of a part of the rotation than MJ Rice but on the scale of that, he's going to be closer to that side, right, if that's his floor. I think that's a good way of putting it. Like, it's almost by necessity. KU has a thin roster. He's going to yeah. have to play some. Like, the floor for Marco Jackson is still playing 15, 20 minutes exactly. a game. Exactly. And coming out there and, and making an impact and being a spell for Dwan Harrison, playing next to him and all this stuff, and still having an impact on the game. I think, realistically, the biggest difference between the floor and ceiling, it's, it's A, going back to the defensive side, like how good is he going to be defensively, and B, it's the jump shot. If you're shooting 25% from three, it's going to be a little harder versus if you're shooting even 32-33% from three. Or if you are being aggressive and being able to yeah. score your own shot. I guess it's true. So his floor, I guess, would be more maybe that he just is one-dimensional. Yeah, his floor is more of he's a he's a good role player who's coming off the bench and Timberlake starting, which he's still going to have a role on the team and he's still going to have a chance to make a big impact on the team. But the ceiling, again, is being a first-round pick who's playing 30 minutes a night and having a big impact on the game. Yeah. Uh, what do you think the most likely outcome is? I think the most likely outcome is probably closer to his ceiling. I could see him having a season to where he's not a lottery pick or not even like a middle of the first round pick, but maybe like a late first round pick, something like that, to where he shows maybe, maybe he's not consistently a guy you can rely on night in and night out, but he shows enough and scores in high impact moments to where NFL or NBA teams uh, kind of see that. And, you know, NBA, a lot of times they draft on potential as well, right? So they, they see what that they can mold that into him. I think that's probably somewhere where he slides into where he's he's going to be a, a consistent player playing 20, 25 minutes a game. And I think he's going to definitely have his moments. Uh, and I think it's going to be just enough that NFL, that NBA teams are going to see that and, and want to want to buy into that that potential that he has. Uh, for KU, in terms of KU, I mean, I think in the, in the 8 to 10 point range probably per game, I think it's fairly reasonable. Uh, and, and being that guy that, again, I, I think... I don't know. I don't want to read too much into the Illinois game, but I think I think the Illinois game maybe could be end up being a microcosm of what kind of season Marco has, where he might fade a little bit in some games, but then he's going to have that lightning quick strike where he might score some buckets really quick or make some big plays. And I think that's I think that might be the trajectory of his season a little bit. Yeah, I I wonder if if he does end up being a two and done in Kansas, and, and maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, but I I mean. It's beneficial for Kansas if he ends up being a one-and-done because that means he had a remarkable season. I, I think you're right. I think most likely outcome, to me, I view him as being the starting two-guard at least at some point throughout the season, six to ten points per game, being a solid defender, solid passer. The question will be kind of the jump shot and how consistent that can be. But I, I think he'll make a positive impact in one way or another. Yeah. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We got some more KU basketball talk coming up later in the show. Coming up next, we'll get to some Brian Borland audio with KLWN, depending on it. We're out at 5.30 today. We have 
pregame coverage for KU against Fort Hayes State. That'll go till 6 o'clock. And then from 6 to 7, we're going to have Hawk Talk. Brian Haney, Lance Leipold at Johnny's Tavern. 7 o'clock, we've got your KU basketball game against Fort Hayes State right here on KLWN. Okay, uh, before we get to our Bill Self audio from the head of the Fort Hayes State game, we have another edition of Rock Chalk Pick a Hawk here. I am 1-0. Our rules, one point for every so point. Hang on, hang on yeah. a minute. Should we count exhibitions? Oh, now you bring this up. <laughs> now you bring this up after I started 1-0. You missed your Should chance. Should we count exhibitions? You missed your chance to complain before the exhibition happened. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out there. It's an exhibition on the court. Why isn't it an exhibition for us? Because. You know, we changed formats. Rules. We got a new rules. Too bad. Give us a you game or two to get warmed up. Before it started. <laughs> Can't change the rules once the game's already I'm not begun. changing any rules. You are. No, no, no. One point no. for every point. The rules two aren't points changing. points for rebounds and assists. Three points for blocks and steals. Minus one for every minute played. Okay, I, I think we should have the exhibition. Too bad. Uh, I don't know who to pick first. Yeah, you have the first pick. I do. You have the first pick uh, for Illinois. In theory, Hunter Dickinson should have a big game. He puts up big points and rebounds, but also, like, against Fort Hayes State, how much are they really going to... I don't know. Then again, maybe he gets to abuse Fort Hayes State because they, they have a size mismatch. What if he puts up 14-4 and four and plays mm. 28 minutes and lose know. points? That would suck, wouldn't it? It would. I'm going to go with the risk anyway. I'll take Hunter Dickinson. Yeah, that's the right call because I would have happily had Hunter Dickinson on my team. But uh, instead, uh, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Kevin McCullough here. You know, he had a big game against Illinois, and I think he's gonna build on that. Have another solid game. That's what here. I would have taken if I didn't take Hunter. Yep. So I'll I'll take Kevin McCullough with my with my, with my pick. I get another pick, right? Yeah. Okay. This is where things get tricky because I think you could make a case for any of the other three starters here for the second pick. Well, and Mark Jackson. Be, yeah. Oh, I guess that's true. Or four starters for all we know. Nick Timberlake. I'm not taking Nick Timberlake. Now, Marco Jackson could be explosive. This could be a game where he just is faster than everybody and gets a bunch of layups and easy points. K.J. Adams, obviously, could could, could feel the stat sheet in a lot of different ways. And, you know, Dewan Harris also. Mm. I'm going to pick K.J. Adams Okay, with, this, with my second pick. I will gladly take Dewan Harris. Could end up with 10 assists tonight. I think you could end up with like five steals tonight. That's I mean, true. The steals, yeah, the steals are so impactful. Yeah, yeah. I didn't, I didn't fully calculate the steals into my pick. Three points. I still like KJ Adams. Okay. And then, all right. So you got El Marco. You got Nick Timberlake. Parker Brown. I am going Parker, Parker Brown. Brown. I am going Parker Brown. You're going Parker Brown? Yeah, because Parker Ow. Brown, he's not going to play a huge minute total, so I don't have to worry about being a huge negative. Like okay. the. The the floor is high on Parker Brown. At most, he's going to play 12 minutes, 10 minutes? It's an exhibition, bro. He might play more. I guess, but it's going to be around there. I don't know. He can get blocks, play yeah. a smaller team, and get rebounds. I'm taking Parker Brown. Hopefully, he learns how to set his screen. Okay. He didn't look very good setting screens against you Illinois. Back-to-back -back picks. So how many, going, how many? We're going six deep on this one. I was about to say. You it's were, an exhibition. Uh, you brought this up on uh, while we were off the yeah. air. I just wanted to confirm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I have El Marco Jackson. I mean, you can take the other two starters, although Marco Jackson, again, we don't know if it's El Marco or Timberlake. Yeah, but you can take both. I think I'm. I think I have to take El Marco Jackson here, just from a value standpoint. I mean, I I think he's mm -hmm. gonna have a chance to score a lot, possibly. The issue is if he plays a lot, and then I get <laughs> negative. Yes. 
See, my strategy is avoid the big negatives. Your strategy is go for the home run. Yeah, I don't care about the negatives. I don't care about that. I I don't care about the negatives. Just I want maximum points, but then I get negatives. But you know, it is what it is. So now, do I go with Nick Timberlake? Do I go with a little Michael Jankovic? He's got the same name as you, Patrick Cat. Who does Nick Timberlake? Oh yeah, okay. (laughs) That was a dumb question. Do you know your name? Yeah. Well, my name's Jackhammer now. Oh yeah, that's true. Jackhammer Timberlake. Yeah, I changed it during the break so you can make a college football playoff. Uh, you know, I could go with Jank. I could go with Patrick Cassidy. Dylan Wilhite. I could go with uh, Dylan Wilhite. Justin Wilder Cross. Wilder Evers. Wilder Evers. Out of those three, which one do you think is going to do the most? Are you counting Jankovic? No, I'm saying oh. between between Justin Cross, Wilder Evers, and uh, I know Dylan Wilhite. Cross was dealing with some injury stuff at one point. Okay. Is that still a thing? I don't know. Well, we, 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 haven't even, we, haven't, we haven't even brought up Johnny Furphy. No. He might play. Yeah. Who knows how many minutes he what might play? What about Zach Clemens? Yeah. He might only play five minutes. He could hit one three, <laughs> grab two rebounds, block a shot, done, and you have a, a positive score. Uh, I'm just gonna take Nick Timberlake. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Okay. Give me Nick Timberlake. I think. I think that's actually a bad pick by me, but I don't care. <laughs> okay. So uh, let's see. Uh, there's Furphy out there. I I'm gonna go Zach Clemens for the idea that I I think. You get one block. That's so valuable, man. Um, rebounds. Give me yeah. Clements there. Yeah. And then for my next pick, I will take Michael Jankovic. Mm. Back-to-back games. I think this is the one that he gets in. Maybe hits two threes. Okay. Yeah. So he played. He played one. We one and we officially declare he played one minute. Yeah, so he played like thirty-nine. Uh, yeah, thirty-six seconds. Yeah. So the rule. I don't know if we talked about it on there, but the rule we're going with is if you play over thirty seconds, that counts as another minute. Yes. So if you play nine minutes and thirty-nine seconds, that's ten minutes. Mm-hmm. But if you play nine minutes and twenty 29. seconds, yeah, it's nine, nine minutes. Correct. For point scoring purposes, since you lose a point for every minute they play. Mm-hmm. Give me Johnny Furphy here. Lock it in. Okay. Dunda from down under. Johnny you Furphy. Have one more. You have all oh, have the shooting one. guards. I have another one. Shooting guards. Hmm. Do you want Patrick Cassidy? Good shooter? Yeah. Screw it. Patrick Cassidy. All right, Patrick Cassidy, and I will round things out by taking Dylan Wilhite. Mm. All right. Dylan Wilhite might go off. <laughs> Four points, two <laughs> rebounds, three minutes of play. You're screwed. I mean, that's going off for you. I know. Well, that's going off for this game. That's you end up saying. with positive yes. three? That's like a big night. It's hard with the minus one per minute played. I'm going to finish with negative again, I think. <laughs> I don't like my you had team. what negative seventeen <laughs> last time. I don't like my team. All right, uh, let's get some Bill Self audio coming up next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so. As you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think there'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of the day and see you next podcast.